What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Wednesday, March 13th, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by the second half of the show, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hey, 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 Gabriel. How are you doing? I am good. I have heard that the bug has left. You are finally feeling good like JDS in Wichita or like Derek Lewis at Popeye's. How is it to just be on the other side of it? Yeah, Derek Lewis at Popeye's for sure. Uh, it feels awesome. I can breathe. I'm not, you know, in uh, in the state of misery. Um, <laughs> and I learned some valuable lessons, you know, fist bumping everybody I meet from now on. And uh, I think it was good. Yeah, as a general rule, if I know there's not, like, that public bathroom to wash my hands closely, I c- keep the handshakes to a minimum personally. There's just too many yeah. people, and we're, you know, especially at open workouts. But, you know, yeah, we live and learn. Some of these sure. things only come with experience. And really, <laughs> we got a very loaded show this week. I think it's just kind of like the MMA gods giving us revenge for last week, saying there wasn't a lot going on. So let's get right into it. We're coming off another fight week. UFC Wichita from the lovely state of Kansas. The main event, Derek Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos. Uh, Natalie, the thing about this one, I think that what stood out to me was that JDS, from the get-go, really just was in control of the fight with Derek Lewis. Even early on, Derek, as powerful as he is, as much as he was really loading up into shots, JDS was the one leading the dance for the majority of the time, so to speak. And I think that was the biggest thing, is just how sharp he looked against a guy who could put you down in one shot in Derek. What did you think of the performance? Yeah, dude, what a fight. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm really glad I changed my picks on, live on our show last <laughs> week from Derek Lewis to JDS. You even asked me, you know, if that was my final answer, and I said yes, so I'm very glad I did that. I, yeah, JDS did, I think, what we expected him to do, sort of. So we thought he was going to use his boxing, control the fight. I didn't expect um, JDS to, like, brutalize Derek's body the way he did. I also didn't expect JDS to survive getting hit by Derek. I mean, he did he did eat a couple of shots, one in particular that, that kind of stumbled him. So because the threat of Derek's power loomed so large, I thought JDS would play this a lot more carefully than than he did. Um, I thought he would stay way more on the outside, but, he, yeah, he was engaging. He got scrappy in there. He almost paid a big price, like I said. Um, I will say once JDS wounded Derek in the belly – there were at least like three opportunities where he clearly could have kicked Derek in the face. And I'm like, I wonder why he didn't do it. I don't know if he was worried about landing an illegal blow or he just didn't want to be like that, that vicious and break the guy's face. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, But, but what a great heavyweight fight. It's like what you always hope for when you watch that weight class, high drama, high skill, big bombs. We even got some acrobatics from Derek. He's like a surprisingly athletic man, and then we find out that he was actually injured. Um, he had like a knee injury, so that's even more impressive. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing where both of these guys go. I know Derek lost, but it was still an impressive performance with the, the, the drama of it. And then JDS, yeah, completely outclassed Derek. I'm very excited for his next opponent. I don't know who they're going to give him, but it's going to be a good fight. No, I agree with you completely. Uh, with Derek, when you watch him, 
if uh, guys like Alexander Volkov or Alistair Overeem go for a flying knee, uh, you know, it makes sense. But when you see a guy, you know, let's say bluntly as round as Derek, and he's jumping up as many times as he does, it's, it's really surprising. But that just goes to show that you don't know, you know, just like on the mic, you don't know what to expect from him. But, yeah, <laughs> I think that it was a, you know, JDS, I think that he respected the power, and he saw that in that first time Derek was wounded, and he just threw out that, you know, that haymaker uh, against JDS as he tried to come in, and it almost caught JDS, and that's exactly why that he had a little more of a measured pace, even though Derek was clearly compromised in there. But look, I mean, he did what you're supposed to do. He adjusted. He knows these aren't straw weights and flyweights these are the heavyweights and you still got to respect a guy like Derek we've seen it there's that infamous uh a reel uh, that clip on the UFC every time you go to a live event of uh, I think it's Scott Smith knock Seth Petras someone like that he's clearly hurt the same way looks like the rib is broken the guy tries to finish him and uh, Scott Smith knocks him out there's a reason why you know you can't just rush in every time you got to be a little careful and that's just JDS, that veteran composure in there, figuring it out, and he eventually gets him out of there in the second round. Um, for me, I just don't see how they can make a fight besides Francis Ngannou and JDS. I just feel like that's the one. I want to see it just for the fight, the fireworks that they would bring. I think it makes sense for the heavyweight division. I think it makes sense in the timing. We're assuming that Daniel Cormier is fighting Brock Lesnar, you know, summer, fall, early fall, that the timing for both of these guys, it just seems like it's, you know, how can it not be what's next for either guy? I think that's just the, that's the only option in my opinion. But what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's the strongest option, except when you remember that Stipe is still somewhere in the background, you know, floating around. I don't know what, what he, I guess he's waiting for DC. It's a little weird. He should just fight at this point. Um, but, but yeah, who's, Who's been active and who's been exciting? Francis and and uh, and JDS, right? So yeah, that's that's the smarter fight to make. It's probably what um, what everybody wants to see. Um, I was curious. You mentioned DC and Brock. Dana White tweeted out like three smiley faces, and <laughs> people on Twitter are wondering what does it mean? Is that Brock DC? Did it finally get booked? I don't know, but uh, I mean the clock is ticking here. Like I would like them to just go ahead and and give us something. News-wise. Sometimes I think they like to troll with that one. Like, he could have been talking about getting free biscuits at Chili's or something, you know? Yes, that's what people were saying in the commentaries. Like, he probably got a, yeah, a Groupon for something. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like, you know, it's like this is a sign, you know, Conor McGregor's long-lost twin brother is going to fight MMA too. It's not always <laughs> like that. Um, we have hope. I mean, I would love that it's that kind of news. I would love that it's something Rhonda decides that she wants to put hands on somebody for real again. Um, <laughs> to go to the Stipe thing, I feel like, and I'm going to go on the record and say I think this is the wrong move to make, but I genuinely think that he's expecting to be the alternate in a Brock DC situation in July or the summer. And I think that he's going to try to do that kind of move rather than risk it. And I get it. He's coming. He has the knockout victory over JDS. He's dominated in Ganu. Um, I still think that either of those fights kind of make sense in terms of the rankings and the timing. But I just feel like 
every indication I've seen and heard from him is that he's not interested unless it's a chance to get it all back. And I think that's a bad move, but I think that's just where he's at. I mean, every once in a while it pays off. I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I feel like it does. But mostly you just got to get back in there and fight, and especially when you get knocked out. You know, if you have a long, drawn-out five-rounder, okay, I think you have a better case for saying, I'm going to wait for, for my, my, my shot again. But when you get, as, as Brendan Schaub says, I can't believe I'm quoting him, when you get murked like that, you know, you kind of just got to take the next fight that you can take. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, but um, uh, I wanna in any case, throw, yeah, I sorry, no, go ahead. Out real quick. No, you're good. Look at the situation with Tony Ferguson. You know that they wanted to make the fight with Dustin or Max. That's a fun fight. It's exciting. Habib and Connor have essentially taken themselves out of their running to try to fly like eagles in the octagon. Um, you know, and look, I get it. Tony Ferguson, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of been cryptic about it, but the impression we've gotten is that he made the decision that he felt was best for him and not to take the fight. That's all well and good. And I even understand where Stipe is coming from saying he was dominant. But we all know how this game works, and quite frankly, when you're in this, you know, I hate to call it a lose-lose situation, but when these are the way the cards are dealt, if you don't fight, there is a very good chance the division's going to move on without you. Whoever wins between Dustin and Max, unless they get hurt, they are going to be the one that's hyped up to fight Habib, not Tony. And that's the situation he's found himself in, and I really do think that's what Stipe is going to be in soon. I, I agree, 100%. Yeah, so uh, I think it's just something, you know, food for thought that, you know, you can't be surprised if these things happen, if you're Stipe or, you know, at this point. But going back to it, yeah, JDS and Ganu is my pick. Um, I just think it's a ton of fun, and I think the timing for both guys will really work out for the summer or fall sometime in that area, and we'll see what happens with the belt after that. Yeah, Moving on, there was fresh, a lot right? of different hmm? – Francis is fresh, and gone is fresh. He can probably go. Definitely, yeah. Soon. And, I mean, JDS, I mean, he, give him like a week. He'll probably be fine. I mean, this yeah. is, both of them came out of it without really taking big damage. So, But, yeah, we'll get there. Look, there was a lot of stuff going on on the card, but I know this one you really want to talk about. Marion Renault taking on uh, former Invicta champion Yana Kunitskaya. They got after it, and that mask of blood for Yana, the crimson mask, it made for quite the visual and a lot of fun stuff after the fight with her and her coach. What were your thoughts yeah. on this fight? Yeah, it was a, it was a gruesome third round for sure, and that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it, just the brutality of that third round. Marion Renault has not been the most exciting dancer weight. I always liked her story, you know, she's, in comparison to the other fighters, she's older. She's on the, you know, the other end of the spectrum age-wise. She's a PE teacher. It's like a full-time day job. Um, I've always enjoyed that part of her story more than I ever enjoyed her actual fight. But in the third round against Yana, she turned it up to 11. She had like really slick, accurate boxing, heavy, heavy hands with uh, you know, behind heavy heat behind each punch. I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. I wish she had gone in for the kill, you know, sooner. I'm sorry, I wish she had gone for the kill in the third round. I think she could have, and I, I was really frustrated that she was able to, to get Yana's face in that condition and couldn't close, close the deal. So um, that's why I want to talk about it. It was just such a, a brutal 
finish, and, you know, Marion thought she won the fight. You could see the reaction, the disappointment in her face when she wasn't called. But, you know, when we got to the third round, I thought in my mind she needs a Hail Mary. Like, I thought Yana had already won rounds one and two. So what my bottom line here is I hope to see more of third-round Marion in the future. You know, I hope that she, she brings that into, like, minute one of round one because it was exciting. And, like, you know, the women – don't really bloody each other up that much, and this was kind of cool to see. It was impressive, and she can make a name for herself, I think, if she if she has more performances like that. Yeah, you know, on the other side of the coin, I've sp- I spoke with Yana. It might be going on to two years now, but one of the things I did, I remember asking her, was so often the women steal the show. They put on these real exciting fights. They just get after it a little more than the guys sometimes. And I asked her, why do you think that is? And she said, it's a mindset. She said she remembers distinctly early in her career, the promoter saying, even if you don't win, if you go out there and you give them a battle, you put on a war, we're going to take care of you. And we will be Mm -hmm. consistent about that. And she said, that sticks with her, even now in UFC and everything else. And so, yeah, uh, Renaud, I agree with you. She's never been that, you know, like, oh, my God, must must see television, respectfully. But she really did ratchet it up a notch, and I think that was a testament to Yana Kunitskaya. She knew she was in a battle, and she still put it together to um, squeak out the win. And I agree with you again. It's the two rounds of work that she put in before the third where Marion came back that really sealed the deal. That's why she got that decision, even though, yeah, like you said, it was a gruesome third. Yeah, man, it was crazy. And yeah, the uh, the the hospital Instagram video was was uh, was something else. It always makes me it comforts me a little bit to see a fighter that was just beaten to a bloody pulp, like smiling afterwards. You know, of course, she's probably in a lot of pain right now, but it makes me feel like okay, well, at least it's not as bad as it looked. Um, but uh, that was definitely some of the real behind the scenes stuff. You don't get to see that often. And it's a good reminder of how like you know how vicious a sport this really is. you got to have a sense of humor. Imagine if you were, like, in a bad mood after you take a beating like that. I would be at home like, man, what the heck am I doing? What the, yeah, like, I, mean, I don't yeah, like doing sure. this. I like sitting on my TV and watching. I don't want to freaking go through this every six months. you gotta have, you got to be wired a certain way, I think, and that's, that video was a testament to that of why, you know, this is why they're different. This is why they're in that profession. Is It's not just to get your hand raised. When you go through that, you've got to be able to process what you just went through a certain way, too, in order to be successful in the business. Yeah, man, totally. That's it. Yeah, so something else to process. Obviously a great night in Wichita, but... As always, there is a certain Irishman that never fails to make headlines, and he did it again. Today's Wednesday was on Monday. Conor McGregor arrested early in the morning in Miami Beach. As everyone probably knows by now, a fan was taking his photo as Conor was trying to leave the club at 5 a.m. Conor slaps the phone out of the hands of the fan. He starts stomping on it, and he essentially takes off with it. Um, I'm assuming he got rid of it, threw it out the window or something, but the fact is he left the premises with this fan's phone after thoroughly, you know, doing damage to it. McGregor was charged with strong-arm robbery, criminal mischief. He has been released on bail. Um, Yeah, Natalie, I have quite the opinion on it, 
but I'm going to toss it to you before I say anything. Okay, okay. So I'll say this. As a Connor fan, it's disappointing for me to hear about yet another run-in with the law. Um, you know, early in the week he posted happy family photos of, like, like the Everglades with, you know, alligators and everything looks so cute. And, you know, we know he's the most famous MMA athlete in the world, possibly the most famous combat sports athlete to boot. We can't know what it's like to be stared at and followed at all times of the day and night, but I imagine it gets extremely frustrating. Human beings these days, as we've evolved into these, like, creatures where our smartphones are, like, basically our eyes, right? We just always have them up to our face, and we're always trying to capture, capture content. It, we can be sort of insensitive about invading a stranger's space. However, you just can't do that. I mean, that's just, where you, that's just the bottom line, right? You, you cannot act out in, in aggression and violence against another person, especially when you have such a high profile. He posted the, you know, a message about patience is a virtue and he loves his fans and he's always learning. I appreciate that, you know, as a, uh, trying to just look at it from a human being's perspective, like just stepping back and just saying, okay, this is another human being. I can understand the frustration, but it's just unfortunate it's just not the right way to behave. He's too public of a figure. What I hope for in the end is that it's resolved quickly, that he works harder at carving out his own private space. He has the money to protect himself better. He can't really be a man of the people anymore, and I think, I think maybe he's sort of still trying to walk that line of being a buddy. He'll take photos and then being completely standoffish and private. I think he has to really pick a side. And bottom line for me is that he just seems really restless I think he wants to fight badly, and I wish the UFC would just give him the main event slot with Cerrone so we can all move on and see some good fights. On a side note, I've thought about that, and I do ask myself genuinely, would you still put Connor and Cerrone over a fight like DC Brock if it was 4th of July? That is my one caveat to that is I can't say with certainty, even though Connor is the biggest star, Yes, you would, just because of the combined power of a DC Brock. So that's a story for another day, though, but I'm with you. Um, I saw a tweet that encapsulated a lot. I heard a, a guy said, you know, if you think about it, we've circled more court dates for Conor McGregor than we have fight dates in the last year yeah. or so. That's frustrating. Um, big picture, and I, I watched a bunch of people give their take on it, um, you know, sports talk. TV and radio, and the one I saw was Stephen A. Smith and said, you know what, um, it just doesn't matter. They're going to throw the book at him, and the fan, obviously, you know, he's like, why should I pay a new phone? It was Connor who broke it, so Connor's got the money. He should replace it, which I completely agree with. I think that they're going to find him. They might do community service that he may or may not physically do himself and everything else that we know happens in these sort of cases. I looked at it big picture, and I thought if it weren't Conor McGregor, if it was Alex Smith, who may or may not be a UFC fighter, I'm just throwing out that random name, um, who did this, you'd be saying, no, why is this guy getting in this dude's face at 5 a.m., invading his privacy while he's with his boys and thinking it's okay? But because it is Connor, it is always viewed in a different context. Um, so once again, I, I think part of that is the celebrity culture. It's part of the smartphone, always has Wi-Fi and Internet culture. Um, that's all, you know, its own issue. I think, though, if you're an athlete, 
these things, you know, when you have these incidents, you have to also be aware. Yes, it is normal to be frustrated and mad and lash out. He is not by any means the first celebrity or athlete to do this, but just like every other athlete or celebrity who does it, they do have to face the music. Do I think it's blown out of proportion just because it's Connor? Yes. Do I think that he's going to have to pay for the new phone and do everything? Absolutely. That's the way the rules work. That's the way it plays out. But big picture, I, you know, once again, I, it's like, dude, just, just sign a fight already. You know, I think that yeah. would make everyone feel better. I think that people blew this out of proportion because we don't have anything Connor to talk about. And he's the biggest star. You want to see him so much. So that was my take on it is that, you know, he in terms of infractions, this isn't the biggest one we'll ever we've ever seen from Connor, and it's actually one that he's not even the first guy to do. But because it's Connor, because we view him in that context, that's why it got so much attention. So that was my take on it. They're going to make him pay, but at the end of the day, we're it's a big deal because he's not fighting. We don't have something else to talk about with him. Yeah, let's let's get the guy a fight. Very easy. It's like, Connor, come on, man. Just just come sign on, the fight already. Like, I was really, I think everyone was really excited when he, just in these last two months, was showing so much activity, was giving so much activity on Twitter and Instagram, you know, calling out Cerrone or saying, I will fight you. He said it to somebody else or complimented somebody else on a fight. Now I can't remember who. And it just felt like, all right, he's got the fire back. He's ready to go. He'll scrap. He's down to fight anybody. And then we hear from Dana, oh, you know, or we hear from Dana that it's not happening. Joe Rogan says it's because he wants the main event slot. And it's just like, okay, now we're on the edge waiting. Just give the guy a fight. Just give him what he, don't even give him what he wants. Give him what makes sense, which is a main event slot. Anyway. I agree. And look, that's the thing. He can headline his own pay-per-view. I think the UFC has already seen that. I mean, I hope that people are talking to WME and like, it doesn't have to have a belt on it when it's Conor McGregor. Yeah. <coughs> it doesn't. I mean, didn't, we've seen it. Like they broke Nate. the record just for the Nate Diaz fights that were put together last second. It exactly. Is a Neither of those were for belts. So. Exactly. So, look, I get it. The belts look nice on the poster and the commercial, but come on now. But yeah, that's a that's one for another day. Let's talk about a champion who is actually getting out there and booking fights and staying active. Valentina Shevchenko taking on Jessica I, UFC 238 on June 8th in Chicago. Shevchenko, obviously, she's coming off the flyweight debut and beating Joanna. I is on a three-fight win streak, and she had a big win over Caitlin Chukagian in December to really lock in that number one contender spot. Natalie, what are your thoughts on the women, you know, throwing down for the first women's championship of 2019, mind you? Yeah, okay, so bear with me here because I have, I have a lot of thoughts. Here, here, I love Valentina Shevchenko. I'll start there. My parents are from Peru. When she arrived on the scene, I was super hooked. I, I know she's not actually from Peru, but she was wearing the flag on her, on her uniform, and, you know, I was very excited. Her fighting style, always attacking with ferocity. She, like, screams with every, every strike, and she's been improving, you know, leaps and bounds every match. To me, she is the best, most versatile female fighter in MMA, and for me, Jessica I is the opposite. She's a slow grinder with okay boxing. She has a lot of grit. But in the cage, she has a tendency to get stuck like a broken record. 
I know she's on a winning streak, but when she wasn't and things were not going well, Jessica could never really seem to talk her brain out of trying to, like, repeat the same misguided tactics over and over again. It was very frustrating to watch her fight, at least for me. Um, when she faces Valentina in the cage, I think her brain's going to short-circuit again. No offense, that's just what I see happening. Think about all the ways that Shevchenko has beaten and or finished her opponents, right? She outboxed Holly Holm, submitted Juliana Pena, outpointed, in my opinion, outpointed Amanda Nunes in the title fight, neutralized Joanna and Jacek. And then let's think about Jessica I on her best day. I don't think she'll have any answers for Valentina. Shevchenko often says in interviews that, you know, Muay Thai is just one part of her game. She's a complete martial artist, complete MMA fighter. That's 100% true. And I 100% cannot say the same about Jessica I. So it's a pretty clear one-sided fight for me. Um, I still want to see it because I want to see Valentina defend her belt, win another fight. That division is a little bit thin. It's like, it's weird. You have Valentina at the very top. Champion, excellent, amazing fighter. And everybody else below her at 125 is, is okay. So it's going to be interesting you know, after she she blitzes through Jessica I, she's probably going to go on a nice streak of wins because there's nobody else really that I think has anything for her. Maybe Angela Lee. No, is that her name? KGB Lee. Yeah, maybe yeah, her. KGB. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a while. So in any case, I'm still excited. But but yeah, I think it's gonna be a blowout for Shevchenko. Uh, I think that you have a great point. I think that the best Valentina. Um, Really, you know, when she's on, she really is head and shoulders over just about everybody in that division. I do feel Jessica is still the top contender. I think that she was the one who took out the bigger names compared to Liz Carmouche, who's right there. And uh, I just think that that's um, – I want to give credit where it's due. I hear what you're saying about Jessica I's style. Um, she's another one of these uh, fighters similar to – I think they said it about Ally Akinta. We've said it a bit about Kamaru Usman and guys like that. It's not always pretty. It looks like they're just being very methodical and not doing a lot, but all they do is win. And I feel like since she's dropped down to 125, that's just what she's done. <clears throat> yeah. And I want to give the credit where it's due there. Do I see her, you know, if I had to say, you know, who has the advantage striking, striking who has the advantage grappling? I give just about every category to Valentina. Um, when you talk about grit, that's an intangible that is so inconsistent, and we've seen it. Some guys, they can get absolutely murdered and survive in a five-round fight, but for whatever reason, they're in a two-rounder against nobody, and you know they're just getting taken out of there quick. And it's a weird thing, grit, but I will admit that more often than not, she has it, and she bites down, and she gets the job done. So that is, you know, to her credit out there. Um, it, I think it really is about just what Jessica I, is she going to have, like, what I always call, like, the Cody Garbrandt, like, you know, she's okay, but she just absolutely reveals that she was fighting to the level of her competition, and she just has a whole new level when she fights for the title in her big moment. I do think she needs one of those to take out uh, Valentina. And, you know, for good reason, Valentina is going to be the heavy favorite going into this one. And I think that makes it, uh, that says just about everything you need to know. 
with the flyweight division, I guess, you know, what do you see happening? You know, do you see, like, a Paige Van Sant, Montana De La Rosa getting there? I know Paige just uh, injured her arm again. Um, I think that Liz Carmouche is in the wings right now for 2019. And I think she has a win over uh, Shevchenko from before their UFC days. But, yeah, yeah, I think that 2019 is already pretty booked. I don't think she can look past Jessica I. I really think none none of people are getting hyped up about Liz Carmouche again, and she's killing it at 125. I think that's a very tough fight, but this one, I think just stylistically, it it really just favors Valentina. I agree with you. She's very complete. I think the only thing she doesn't have is that one-shot stopping power, and that's saying something. Yeah, that's true. She doesn't have that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... Yeah, who else is there? It's it still feels a little like it's a young division, you know. Most of the not age-wise, uh, not fighters age-wise, but just as far as like development. Like even though Liz Carmouche obviously is a veteran, when you just when you just pair match them up to Valentina, like she still leaps and bounds, I think, better than all of those ladies. So I don't know who would be next. Um, I think. At 125, I think it makes sense to just turn and burn. Just, you know, let Valentina just work her way through that top ten and and let her fight, let her defend her belt. I mean, that's, that's what she wants to do. She wants to be active, and she hasn't been able to be as active as she's liked. And uh, I think that's the best thing to do with that division right now is just feed, feed, feed them into the Shevchenko machine. Here's a question for you. Amanda Nunes, it looks like, is going to fight Holly Holm, you know, this year. It looks like that's what they're pointing at. Maybe or maybe not Chris Cyborg. You know, that's another big mystery that people feel could just flip either way at this point. Do you see Valentina trying to move up to fight Amanda Nunes before she's finished cleaning out 125? No, I, I really don't. I think she's I think she can see that she owns that division and I don't know if it makes I'm trying to think here because for fun, yeah, I mean why not take a challenge take it have take a chance and go up but I don't know. I think she should I don't think she's gonna want to. I think she wants to, I think she'll wanna just stay put and clean out her division like the way Jones wants to just burn through two oh five. um which I appreciate actually. Because I feel like it is similar to Jones is that as much as it, it'll be fun to watch you, you know, keep cranking these fights out and adding the record, I really do feel that the big fight is, you know, just a little bit north and, you know, it's a fight people want to see, especially the way that Valentina is fighting. And if she turns back, let's say, Liz and Jessica, you know, if Amanda Nunes is still there, we know that 135, it's very shallow also in terms of uh, top contenders. So I really feel like all of that is just food for thought at the end of the day in that one. But, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I, I think you're right. Valentina is going to be a heavy favorite, and I think that as we get to fight week, we'll, you know, we'll see if those intangibles, we feel more confident in them as, you know, we make our final picks. Yeah. Moving on to Stockholm. Wait, is it in Stockholm? I know it is in Sweden. I don't want to quote Stockholm unless it's actually that one. But Alexander Gustafsson returns home, and he's taking on Anthony Smith. These two verbally agreed to the fight 
and it is barely one week, well, ah, sorry, one week removed from Anthony Smith's fight with John Jones. That's the first thing that really shocks me is that Anthony just essentially stepped into this fight so quick. He's already getting prepared for it. He's already agreed to it. And I think the UFC offered it to him like 48 hours, they said, after the Jones fight, which is just mind-boggling to me. So that, to me, is a big factor in terms of, like, what Anthony Smith are we going to get? Has he completely shifted gears mentally, physically, that he's going to be the guy that, you know, we thought he was going into the John Jones fight and all the weapons he does possess, Alexander Gustafsson, He's still nothing less than, I think, the number three guy at light heavyweight in terms of just who's the top fighter. So this is a big fight for both men, a big test for all of them. Um, What are your thoughts on the matchup? To me, this is a dangerous fight for for Gustafsson. It just doesn't seem like he's, he's at the top mentally anymore, like he has that fire like he used to. You know, both Anthony... Smith and Alex Gustafson spoke of not being able to, like, turn it on when they fought John Jones, not performing as they had trained. I think Gustafson has had way too many heartbreaking losses, apart from, you know, the second Jones fight, um, the first Jones fight, the Rumble fight in, in Sweden, the DC fight. Those, to me, add up in the psyche. He's not been active enough to rack up wins and erase, like, the bad taste of those high-profile losses. So I worry about that. You know, he was on the MMA Hour, I think, talking mm-hmm. about it. And he says, if I lose this fight, I may not have it anymore. You feel that kind of stuff from a fighter. It makes you wonder if, you know, their brain is, is has maybe partially checked out, but they just haven't fully accepted it. On the other hand, you have Anthony Smith, who who you, you wondered, you know, about his, his state, and he is tired. He was on um, Hawani's show talking about how he's been burning the candle at both ends. He's been training, I think, like 15 months. Like, he's been in the camp for, like, the last 15 months or something crazy. It's possible he's burned out. Um, he said he wanted to rest until January of 2020 um, before he, he was booked on this fight. Like, right after he lost to Jones, his plan was to not fight again until January of next year. Then his manager tells him we have this offer, and it's just not in him to turn down a fight. He said, you know, he was almost like beleaguered, like just sort of like not defeated about it, but just like um, just kind of like, well, okay, you know, I can't turn on a fight, so I have to just take it, and that's it. So it's kind of weird. Both of these guys are, you know, sort of in weird places, I think, in their minds. Alex is going to be fighting his hometown. Hopefully he'll be determined to redeem himself. But the bottom line for me is I think it's going to be more a battle of like the psyche. Than, than the than the than the physical, um, just who's able to like talk themselves out of this funk that they're in faster. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, with Anthony Smith, I feel like you're evaluating because it's like this is the best he, you know, it has to be the best he ever felt last year, just putting dudes down and winning big fights in UFC and just doing what he's doing. And now it's like, well, you know, you were well prepared for a fight with John Jones. You look, physically looked great. And, you know, uh, I guess you're assessing what happened. And then if you're Gustafsson, I think the question really is, and you bring it up, uh, like, is he still 
that guy who can, you know, win it all. And I think that a lot of people at this point are thinking, I just don't think so. I think that the time for, you know, that his window where he was killing it and he was going to put it all together and get the job done might have, you know, might have passed him up at some point, you know, during that run. You know, you could say it was the DC fight. You could say it was, a, you know, maybe it was the Rumble fight. But I think that there is that question about him right now. And I think that he has, you know, I think that that doubt that he verbalized to Luke Thomas, you know, is uh, validated a little bit if you're Gustafsson and you're trying to figure it out. I think if you're Anthony Smith, I mean, the guy, his bruises didn't look completely healed up in that Helwani video. And I was like, you're already taking this fight, number three? I mean, you know, go get, you know, go enjoy some food, Anthony, something. Um, So the fact that they're taking it at this point says a lot. Uh, Stylistically, two great strikers. I've always said that Anthony has... um, some of the best firepower in terms of stopping a guy with one shot at 205. Alex is a great technical striker, but I wouldn't say he's got that extra explosion to put someone down with just one hit like Anthony does. So I think that makes it a very interesting fight. You know, what approach does he try to take with Anthony Smith, who, you know, he expects to stand and bang with him. So I think that it is a fun fight still. I think both of them, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that they're going to produce a bad fight, you know, regardless of how they feel. I think that when they realize who they got in front of them and that octagon door closes, that it is still going to be a good fight. Yeah, I agree. I think they both have great skill sets to produce an exciting fight. They both have really strong reasons for wanting to to redeem themselves, right? They're both coming off of um, losses to John Jones. I think that Gustafson has more to prove than Smith just because, as you said, he's already, like, he was at the top a while ago. Now he's just kind of trying to find a place somewhere. I don't think he's ever going to get a title shot again. We don't know what's left in his gas tank. Uh, so, so, yeah, we'll see a good fight, but I think it's going to be a better, it's going to be more beneficial for Smith in the end than for Gustafson. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, definitely we will wait and see. We don't have to wait too long. That fight is coming up soon in June. It is right around the corner as we get through winter and start spring. Um, Another fight that is going on, this one in nice and lovely sunny Miami, Romero versus Jacare 2. Yo, Romero is coming off that Spanish reality show, Exatlon. He didn't get eliminated. For, you know, the producers saw that he was having an issue with his knee. He was a little inflammated, so they decided to send him home for his own safety. But he's medically been cleared for a fight. He's going to be fighting another top contender in a rematch in Jacare Souza, who had the big fight over Chris Weidman in November. There were plans for Yo Romero to fight Paulo Costa. Obviously, Romero kind of threw, tried to throw Costa under the bus, said he thinks that uh, Costa failed a USADA test. I'd like to say that when you're Joel Romero and you don't have evidence, that's a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black. Just saying. (laughs) Um, You know, saying it like it is. Uh, Real quick, um, I want to give my take first, um, and then I want to toss it to you. Um, The the fight with Paulo Costa was uh, very anticipated, in my opinion. We want to see this young guy tested. I think that the Robert Whitaker 
situation maybe changed uh, gears for the UFC. I think that they saw what was going on, and I think that they're not sure if they would give Yo Romero another title shot if he were to win. And I think that they, you know, when you look at the fight stylistically, Paolo, you know, look, physically very powerful and all that, but can he deal with a wrestler of Yo Romero's caliber? I don't think the UFC felt confident giving him that fight, and I think quite bluntly, they feel like Paulo Costa is a guy that, you know, as Jose Aldo retires and Anderson Silva's, you know, calling it a career soon also, all these guys, you know, possibly transitioning out, they want this hyped-up young kid similar to Darren Till in England that they can have carry the torch into Brazil, and they don't want to give him a guy like Yoel Romero yet. I feel like they could, I think, and I've said this, that they want a big fight like with Israel Adesanya. They want to build it up so that could headline a big pay-per-view down the line. I don't think Costa is there yet. They want to develop him there, and I think they thought that the Yoel Romero fight has a big risk to be counterproductive to that development, you know, to say bluntly so. I get the Jacare fight for Romero. I think that if you're Jacare, this is a big one. It gives you a good argument to be the next contender if Robert Whitaker is still hurt and, you know, you need an opponent for the winner of Izzy and Kelvin. So I think matchmaking-wise, it's protecting their future investment in Paolo, and you still get a good fight at the top of 185. Yeah, that, that's a good assessment. I, when I saw the headline about this fight being booked, I kind of just glossed over it. Like, it didn't make an imp- impression on me. Uh, so uh, I'm not terribly excited about it, but, um, you know, Jacare looked amazing against Chris Weidman. Well, he, he finished the fight in an amazing fashion. Weidman looked awesome up until he, he got caught. Um, I was looking at the rankings, and I thought, well, who else could it could they have, you know, matched up? There's Rockhold still sitting around. I don't know what the deal is with him. I saw some rumors that maybe he's getting a fight with somebody with um, Corey Anderson. Two hundred five. He did he move up officially? Is he out of one eighty five? I think they're saying he's uh, committed to going up to two hundred five now. Okay, well, that's actually good. I think that'll be exciting. Um, yeah. So yeah, so then I was looking. So the rankings that I was looking at on the UFC were not even really helping me. It was kind of like muddled. I wasn't sure what, what made sense. So I'll take the fight. It'll, it could be interesting. But, yeah, I think what you're saying is right. I think they were kind of in a weird place with Adesanya, Gastelum, Whitaker, wanting to make sure that whoever gets that next fight for the belt is has star power, is worthy, has a name. So, yeah, this is probably the safe, safe move to make. And they'll get some eyeballs on the fight for sure. Yeah, and I know that uh, in terms of, you know, in the arena that Romero obviously trains out of Miami. I think even Jacare trains in Florida, too, so I think they are does, expecting yeah, yeah a, a good crowd in Fort Lauderdale. But, um, yeah, it's going to be good. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, I think that, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. And then if you're at 185, I mean, uh, I think that's the thing that we've come to realize about the UFC rankings is that it's not necessarily – you know, who earns their way to the number one to fight the champion. I think it's about, you know, timing, matchups, and who's had their shot already, you know. So you might still be number one contender, and, you know, but I think Israel, he's not even uh, – is he in the top five now? I felt like he was still, like, at number six before the fight with Anderson. 
So it's, you know, it just goes to show that the numbers next to your name aren't necessarily everything. I'd also like to point out a lot of people criticize it. Fans know who's on a tear and who's, who kind of makes sense to be the num- number one contender. Like, was Anthony Smith ahead of Gustafsson? No, but we understood process of elimination. We know who was next in line. So I know people like to criticize them a lot, and there are moments where you really do, but... I feel like at 185, it's actually moving pretty well. I think that you have the guys who have the most hype. And, you know, in terms of Jacare, I think he just needs that one to show that, hey, you know, I'm not just on the rebound. I am putting it together, and I am still right here for a title shot. And I think the Romero fight does that. Yeah, I think but, so. Uh, and, and, yeah, I'm looking at the rankings. Adesanya is ranked fifth. I don't know if that's correct, but that's where he's listed right now on the UFC uh, website. So. Yeah, and uh, look, I get it. He makes noise. Kelvin has been putting in work, so I get why that fight, you know, comes together over, say, uh, Jokere versus, um, Gas- uh, you know, over Gastelum or Adesanya, for example. So, yeah, but, yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, you just got to play around with them, and, yeah, they, they did what they could, and it, it should be a good fight. Yeah. Uh, and also, Paulo Costa, I want to see him back in there already, too. He's another guy who, gots to, who has to get in there. I think that's the story of the show. We've got to get these guys booked already. We want to see some good fights. Yeah. Start fighting, guys. Come on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, obviously, it's another UFC fight week. We're going to be going all the way across the pond to UFC London, Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal. This one, I feel like because Jorge has been out a minute that people don't realize just how good this fight could be. I think that Game Bread, he's got just an awesome game. He's well-rounded. I think, I know for me, I used to think he's just a brawler kind of dude. And he really is very well-rounded. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He is gritty. He's got good striking Darren Till, though, is just a massive athlete. He comes forward. He knows how to use his physicality to great effect. It's what got him to a title shot and got him wins over guys like Wonder Boy and Cowboy. So this is a very good fight. I think that they're really going to bring the fireworks, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, this is, this is great matchmaking. Two tough strikers willing to stand and bang. Till is so much bigger. And, you know, despite his loss to, to, to Woodley, he's still carrying that, like, young buck swagger. Masvidal, like, literally a, a former street fighter with this, like, legit street street vibe, street energy. I don't think either of these guys is going to back down. We are going to see fireworks for sure. Uh, it's a big opportunity for Masvidal to jump up the rankings. But still has a lot to prove, too. He got dismantled pretty easily by Tyron. I think especially being in London, he's going to want to, he's going to need to really make a statement. But how sweet would it be for Masvidal to snatch a win in Till's hometown? I think that would be a pretty exciting thing for Masvidal to do. But bottom line here, if you've seen Dan Hardy and that face-off they did for BT Sport between, you know, Till and Masvidal, you know Masvidal is not playing Tail is not playing. These guys are going to give us a fight, and we're going to see some exciting stuff uh, in London for sure. Yeah, I think that it's just going to be another good one. I think that um, what I found surprising, everyone talks about the size of Till. I think he's only got one inch height over Masvidal. Everything else is the same, and it's like, dude, 
how is that possible? Um, but uh, I think that's a big thing to watch out for. Um, Masvidal is very difficult to put away, as is Darren Till. Um, so I think that that's going to be something to keep an eye on is that, you know, we're probably going to see some chins tested and guys go to plan B because they can't, you know, knock out, they can't finish the other guy even if they're winning. So I think we're going to see some adjustments in this fight. But this is actually one I see going Later, I can see it going the distance to or to about the third or fourth. But um, I think that Darren Till is similar to Michael Bisping. When you put him at home, he's just really one of those guys. He just he he really does get that home field advantage. And I just I just see Till grinding this one out. I think that he's going to walk through Masvidal's offense and he's going to get all the spots that he needs out there on the feet to do the damage, land the hits he needs to, and I, I see it going unanimous decision, if not a breakdown and maybe a fourth-round TKO of Masvidal. That's my prediction for Till. You know what? I think I'm kind of with you on that. Um, my heart wants Masvidal, but I think it, it will be Till. He has those, like, sneaky – first he has, like, that blitzing, you know, karate-type attacks, but he also has yep. these sneaky, like, uppercuts that he hits you with, and you think his arm's going one way and it comes underneath. Uh, I think – he will he will hurt Masvidal at some point. Fourth round seems about right. I'll take that. Um, yeah, I think that's what will probably happen somewhere around there. Yeah, Masvidal is so tough, but I don't think he has the power to, to knock out, knock down dinner until I just don't see it happening. Oh, I think it's going to be exciting. Now I'm ready for it. I think it's going to be good, so... That one will be happening on Saturday. It is going to be an early one because they are airing it, you know, for the U.K. fans on their time. So on ESPN Plus, I want to say it's that one. And then, of course, guys, we will be back next week. It is Nashville. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson takes on Anthony Pettis, moving up to make his welterweight debut. That one, you know, I think people are calling it Striker's Paradise. I agree. I think that one's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll be back to talk about that one. Natalie, where can fans find you on social media to keep up and talk about all these fights? You always do a great job of making sure fans know what is going to be on TV over the weekend. Yeah, definitely. So I'm actually, I have two Twitter. I usually just uh, just mention Puncher, which is the Twitter handle and Instagram handle for my website, thestraightpunch.com. So you can definitely reach me there. But my personal Twitter is Rama 5 I'm pretty active on that. So happy to, uh, to chat via that Twitter handle as well. And then uh, on Instagram, my personal one is just Rama. So, you know, come at me. Let's talk. You heard that, fans. Come at her. Let her know what's going to happen. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, definitely we'll be back next week to talk about everything and, of course, any other fights and interviews, news that comes up. So be on the lookout for that. Fans, you can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and have a good weekend.